Well, good morning to all of you. I didn't mean to cut that short. I was just getting up here to get ready and you all sat down. I am Pastor Tim, the executive pastor of our church. and I'm up here this morning because one of my responsibilities as the executive pastor is oversight of a very important ministry in our church, and that is our intern ministry. The aim of our intern ministry is to train men and women for full-time gospel Christian ministry. There's a dignity to that calling. We serve God's purpose in the life as much as the intern serves God's purpose in the life of his church. What I'm trying to say is that they aren't just cheap labor. We are training and discipling these fine men and women for the work of the Lord. We've had nine interns enter our ministry, and this morning it's my great pleasure to be able to introduce to you our 10th intern, Jared Irvine. Jared, come on up. Before we hear a little bit from Jared, let me just tell you briefly that to enter the intern ministry, Jared, as has our other interns, have gone through a very rigorous process. It's very rigorous. Um, there's an extensive application process, an interview process where they are interviewed by virtually every area of leadership in our church. Jared was unanimously approved and um, ratified to the intern ministry on June 11th. 2013, and in a moment we're going to have him go down front and our leaders are going to um, commission him, but let's just take a moment to get to know him. So Jared, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Okay. My name is Jared Irvine. I'm 23 years old. Um, my parents are Jay and Delinda Irvine. I think they're sitting right there. My brother, Colton. Yeah, give it up for him. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I'm... Hang on. Why don't you guys stand? Okay. Oh. Come on. Come, Come on. on. Stand. Come on. You too, Colton. Come on. <laughs> well, I'm a valley boy, born and raised. Um, went to this church basically my entire life since I was two. I've gone through Sunday school here, junior high ministries, high school ministries, and now currently involved in satellite, the college ministry here at Grace. I went to CBC High School. And then to COS for two years. Then I transferred to Biola, where I majored in communication and minored in biblical studies. My favorite hobbies include soccer. <laughs> I, I love athletics. I love playing games. And uh, reading. My mom's a librarian, so it rubs <laughs> off on me. And I just realized you have a great preacher's voice. He really does uh, speak well. Tell us a little bit, Jared, about, or tell us how you came to know the Lord. Great. Well, for me, I accepted Christ when I was five years old here at Grace. And from, I'm going to call, from five years old to junior high, I'm going to call it my spiritual infancy period. I was a babe in Christ. It was a great time of like an innocent time, sweet childlike faith. And I look back on with fondness, but we must all grow up and move out of that. And for me, I've hit a period of some rockiness. You know, naturally we go from childhood to teenager, right? And 
that puberty kind of weird stage, the awkward stage. Uh, some rebelliousness could happen. Well, for me, I had some rebelliousness. And really, I struggled with the fact of the question, is Jesus Lord of my life? And this really was a struggle for three to five years of really trying to say, you know, is, Lord, is Jesus going to be Lord of my life? Because I knew that when Jesus came and he died, that he died not just to be my savior, but to be my Lord. That Christ gave everything for me. And how could I go live the way I wanted to live? And oh yeah, by the way, Lord, will you save me in the end? No, he wanted me to submit to him and have him be Lord of my heart. And so really I desire the things of the world, but I also wanted, you know, heaven too. But Christ is not content with merely being a savior. And so to make a long story short, I surrendered to Lord Jesus Christ at my time at CUS. The Lord then led me to Biola. And I believe he's led me to this place right now. And as my spiritual adulthood, you know, I love the verse in Luke when Christ says, you must pick up your cross daily and follow me. Luke puts that word daily in. Mark and Matthew don't have that word. I love the word daily because surrendering to Christ is not a one-time thing. It is an everyday commitment that when I get up in the morning, I say, Lord, will you be Lord of my heart today? And for the rest of my life, I pray that I will surrender my life to Christ more and more because it is hard. Pride is the great monster lives in each and every one of us. And so I'll try my best to live faithfully to God who's been faithful to me. Well, I think you've already asked our third question, but I will give it to you anyways. Why do you want to give your life to serving the Lord and his church? Well, I'll pick up where I left off. (laughs) (laughs) With the faithfulness of God. This God who is faithful, even when I wasn't faithful to him. This God who did not forsake me when I wanted to live for myself. This God who left the 99 other sheep to go find me, the wandering dumb sheep out there in the wilderness, and he put me on his back and he beat the wolves who were trying to devour me with his staff and brought me back into the fold of God. This God who sent his only son to die for me, when I was an enemy to him, he reconciled me back to himself through the blood of Christ. This God who gave me life when I deserved death. This God who adopted me as his son. He gave me the title child of God when I was a child of wrath. This is the God of love, of mercy, of justice and grace. It is because of who he is. It is because of his character that I want to serve him. And I serve him because he first served me. And he died for me, a sinner. Well said, Jared. 
We do believe Jared belongs in the intern ministry here at Grace Community Church. And I think you do as well. So Jared, I'm going to have you go down front here. I'm going to ask all the elders, deacons, pastoral staff to come gather around him. I will go down there as well in just a moment as they all get here. And then Pastor John is going to pray on behalf of our leaders. And I would ask you to be in prayer with us. Well, as our hands touch Jared, uh, we know you touch him through us. Let's pray together. It's humbling, Lord, to see your work displayed in the life of a person. We pray for Jared together with one heart, asking you to guard his heart, feed his life, cause him to flourish in the beauty of Christ that others might be moved and drawn to you through him, that your work would be forwarded, that your gospel would become plain and clear and speak. We all desire to love you with our whole heart, and we're grateful that in our midst, you raise up people to encourage and challenge and inspire us. It's you in Christ at work. And for that, we are grateful. Together, we praise you. We commend to you the life of Jared for your service. For Christ's sake, in his matchless name, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, Jerry. Good morning. I'm Lieutenant Tristan Brandenburg, call sign Geppetto. I've been given this opportunity to speak to you this morning about how God plays a role in my life, specifically with my regards to my service in the military. Jesus Christ has been an anchor for our family throughout my time in the service. He protects me every time I go flying. While I'm away from home, he is the reason I joined the Navy, the reason I do what I do, and the reason I am standing here in Visalia talking to you today. My wife, Stacia, and I have been attending Grace Community Church for two years now. We found Grace Community because we were looking for a church where we could get involved with the orchestra. We played in the orchestra in our church in Pensacola and in Meridian, Mississippi, and we were very excited to continue that here. We tried all the churches in Hanford, Lemoore, Visalia, and even Fresno that, had, that would let us play, and we felt that God was leading us here. Since then, we've been very happy here, and we uh, also joined in our group with the Salzmans. Church has been important to both of us since the time we were children, and even more so with our time in the military. Since we were married in 2008, we have moved from Colorado to Maryland, Maryland to Florida. From Florida, I went to Mississippi, and Stacia went to Alabama. I then left for Lemoore, and four months later, Stacia followed. We've moved so many times that in the five years we've been married, we've never spent Christmas in the same house twice. <laughs> but every time we move, we're comforted to find a church like this where there are believers who worship the same God we do. I've been in the Navy for nine years now, and it's been a very, very rewarding and very challenging. I'm currently serving with Strike Fighter Squadron 22 aboard Naval Air Station Lemoore. 
I'm fortunate enough to fly the FA-18 Foxtrot Super Hornet, the Navy's premier strike fighter aircraft. It's capable of airspeeds in excess of Mach 1.5, it's capable of pulling 7.5 Gs, and is capable of in-flight refueling, making the combat radius extremely long. It carries weapons such as the AIM-120 AMRAAM, the AIM-9 Sidewinder, the GPU-16 laser-guided bomb, Mark 84 2,000-pound general-purpose bomb, GBU-31 JDAM, and is equipped with a Vulcan 20-millimeter cannon. What makes the Super Hornet most valuable, however, is its ability to operate off the aircraft carrier. Landing a 44,000-pound aircraft flying about 150 miles per hour on a 320-foot-long runway that is moving up and down and side to side and doing it day or night, regardless of the weather, is not an easy thing to do. There were several flights that the verse Joshua 1.9 came to mind. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The wherever you go part is perhaps the most comforting thing for me on some flights, especially over the water. Once you get about 50 nautical miles off the coast, all you can see is water in all directions. When you're in a jet by yourself at night over the water, it can feel pretty lonely. But as the verse says, God will be with you wherever you go. The other verse I find particularly comforting is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Some of the things we do tend to seem impossible. Climbing into the jet before one such flight, it's comforting to remind myself that I don't have to accomplish these impossible tasks. Other times, I feel kind of like Moses. The man who had trouble with public speaking was chosen to talk Pharaoh out of letting the Israelites go. I was the man who many times in flight school was doing so poorly that I thought that I would be lucky to fly a desk one day, let alone a jet. <laughs> but God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. My position as a pilot affords me a unique opportunity to witness to those around me as well. When I walk to the jet, it is surrounded by enlisted sailors whose job is to get the jet ready for me to take it flying. They're ordnance professionals, avionics technicians, electricians, and mechanics. They watch me do my pre-flight inspection, and then they see me stop just prior to climbing the ladder to climb into the jet and bow my head to say a prayer. I know people have noticed this because some of them have commented to me that they have noticed and it inspires them. I don't do this for a show. I pray before each flight because I know that the next hour could very well be my last. But if it leads someone else to Christ, then that's a bonus. It also keeps me accountable to myself. Since I know those around me know that I'm a Christian, it forces me to live the part. So how did I get here? I grew up in Colorado in an area not much different from the Central Valley. Imagine if the mountains were on the west rather than the east, and instead of orchards and vineyards, all you saw were wheat and cornfields, and then you can imagine northeastern Colorado. My parents were about as perfect as two people could be. They taught me about Jesus and what it meant to be a Christian, and as a result, I became a Christian as a child. My granddad, who also had a large influence on my life, can best be described as the silhouette of a cowboy kneeling before a cross with his horse right behind him, as you see on the pickup trucks around the country. He taught me what it meant to be a godly man, and although I often failed to live up to his, uh, to his standards, I still consider him my spiritual role model. He also taught me how to work hard. I wanted to be a farmer just like him when I grew up, until a crop duster flew over us one time and I thought maybe I'd like to give that a try. <laughs> that little yellow plane piqued my interest in aviation, but it played a very minor role in why I joined the Navy. When I was 15, I left Colorado to spend one year as an 
as a foreign exchange student in Slaelse, Denmark. I didn't speak the language, I didn't know anyone there, I just went. The Danes are wonderful people, they're very kind, very hospitable, and in general a great country. I lived with three different host families over the course of the year and attended a high school there. Since I didn't learn enough Danish to really get anything out of my classes until I had been there for about six months, I had a lot of time to sit quietly and think. One of the things I thought about was the idea of patriotism. Can one country really be better than another? Why, are the, why do the Danes do some things differently than we do here in America? Are we doing it right or are the Danes? Another place I had some time to think was in church. Denmark is officially a Lutheran country. What that means is part of the taxes they pay go to the church. There are beautiful little churches with tiny graveyards dotted all over the countryside. The only problem with these churches is that there's no one in them. One of these churches was about five miles from my host family's house, and I would ride my bike there on Sunday. I would sit in the back, mostly out of habit, because that's where the youth sat in my church. Sitting in the back let me look at the congregation there. Normally there were about four to eight ladies. I'm not sure I ever saw a man there besides the pastor. I was also the youngest person in the building by about 60 years. It was nice to hear the hymns, as most of them at least have the same music as the traditional hymns here in America. And it was nice to just be in church, even if I couldn't understand the sermon all the time. But I did quite a bit of thinking in that back church pew. Why was God not a priority to these people? Why was there only one church in the entire town? Granted, it was a small town. About 5,000 people lived in the two towns from which the church drew its congregation. But my hometown in Colorado had 5,000 people in it as well, and we had at least a dozen different churches, all of which had more than 10 people in the congregation on a regular Sunday, to include people my own age. I never really figured out why the churches in Denmark were so empty. What I did figure out was that I belonged in the military. America certainly has her flaws. I will never claim that we are a perfect country. But after seeing a little bit more of the world than my own little corner of Colorado, I felt confident that we are the best country in the world. No other country can you walk into a church on any given Sunday and find this, a congregation full of believers. No other country will guarantee your right to be in this congregation. No other country will guarantee that you don't have to follow a certain religion if you don't want to. And no other, no other country in the world is under such attack from the devil. And as a result, no other country is in greater need of defense. Thank you for listening to me, and God bless America. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, our God, who is gracious and merciful, who is slow to anger, who is abounding in love and steadfastness, who does not leave us, though we leave you. A God whose mercies we experience new every morning and whose protection and provision we enjoy each day the reasons for worshiping your name your holy name is endless there there is not enough time in this day 
Father, we thank you. We thank you that we live in a country where we can establish an intern ministry, a place where proven leaders can come alongside young leaders, your leaders, and help them to develop a love for you, a love for your work, a love for your people. We thank you that you've touched our founding fathers with your gospel, with Jesus Christ, and that they sought to form a more perfect union on your principles of establishing justice, providing a common defense, providing domestic tranquility, promoting general welfare, and securing blessings, not only for themselves, but for us, their posterity. Father, forgive us as a people, for we have swerved from those principles as a whole. And help us as your church to be models, to be those who are at the forefront of putting your principles into action. And we thank you, Father, for your son. Your son who came to destroy the works of the devil, who came to give himself as a satisfactory offering, that satisfied your justice, quelched, quelled your wrath, and bought us forgiveness and redemption, that we may enjoy the fellowship that you had originally designed before our adversary lied to us and said that life without you would be better. Thank you for your son. And Father, we worship you not only with words, but with also with our offerings, with our tithes and our gifts. May you be satisfied with our worship. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name, and all of God's people said, Amen. I think I have too many words and too many thoughts in my head to say something uh, about this morning except that the Lord has... Uh, I, well, I'm just so grateful to, to be a part of Grace Community Church. We're mindful this is uh, the weekend in which we're still kind of uh, touched by the afterglow of July 4th. And it is uh, on July 4th, 1776, that, and I quote, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America proclaimed its independence. And in the words of Thomas Jefferson, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those ideals, those self-evident truths are enshrined in our Constitution it is our commitment as a nation to these ideals. 
And in the Constitution, those ideals, those self-evident truths are codified. And they codify a form of government bound to not only the creation of their experience in the life of this nation, but their maintenance. And so it's set forth in the preamble of our Constitution, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution. I want to draw your attention to those words, secure the blessings of liberty. Independence, and with it, liberty and freedom. Independence is dependent. It's dependent on a commitment to ideals, to self-evident truths. There are times we're disappointed with our country. But it is the ideals, the self-evident truths to which we are committed that we strive. And it is out of that striving that someone such as Tristan, those of us sitting here can say, this is a great country. But I want you to appreciate that liberty, and with it, freedom, independence, Liberty is dependent. I think this is nicely illustrated in a story. It's a story of Abraham Lincoln. It's set in New Orleans. And by chance he happened upon a slave block sale. And there was a young girl on the slave block. The story goes like this. She, the slave girl, looked at the man bidding on her. She figured he was another white man going to buy her and then abuse her. Lincoln won the bid. And as he was walking away with his property, he said, young lady, you are free. She asked, What does that mean? And Lincoln said, it means you are free. She asked, does that mean that I can say whatever I want to say? And Lincoln said, yes, my dear. You can say whatever you want to say. She asked, does that mean I can be whatever I want to be? And Lincoln said, yes. You can be whatever you want to be. 
She asked, does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? And Lincoln said, yes. You can go wherever you want to go. And the girl, with tears streaming down her face, said, then I will go with you. Historians remind us that that didn't happen. Lincoln was in New Orleans before the Civil War, and he did chance come upon a slave block in which there was a girl being sold at auction. He watched only shortly, and then stated he didn't want to watch any longer, urging his companions to leave, and vowing that if he ever got the chance, he would hit slavery and hit it hard. That kind of disappoints me in a way. I, I wish that story had happened just the way I shared it. But it does present us with a great reality that when we think about liberty and freedom and independence, if we think about it a little hard, if we really give it some thought and imagine what it's like to live in freedom, liberty, and dependence, we realize that it does have limits. It is dependent. And this story that didn't happen, had it happened, illustrates that very reality. Because if he had bought her, outbidding the highest bidder, and set her free, she would have been lost on the streets of New Orleans and quickly found herself again under the thumb of, in the Slavery of someone else, and on the slave block again. And so the point of the story is indeed very powerful because it illustrates a higher truth, a truth that's just as real if that story was never actually to have taken place. In that she says, then I will go with you. Because those who are truly liberated and those who are truly free recognize that they're dependent upon a liberator, someone who can establish and protect their freedom. Our second president, John Adams, wrote, and he imagines a future in which the people of America, and he writes, assume the language of justice and moderation. And I think from the whole letter, we need to understand when he says assume, it means they take it for granted. He sees a time in which the American people take for granted the language of justice and moderation while, he writes, practicing iniquity and extravagance. And then he adds... And he imagines, again, a time in which the American people display in the most captivating manner the charming pictures of candor, frankness, and sincerity. What does he mean by that? In other words, they display things that 
are tantamount to the experience of liberty and freedom. While, and I quote, rioting in rapine and insolence, And if that is the case, he says, this country will be the most miserable habitation in the world. And we insert a why. And he answers it, because we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. He continues, avarice, ambition, revenge, and licentiousness would break the strongest cords of our Constitution. As a whale goes through a net, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. You see... As much as we cherish our Constitution and savor its words, there's no provision in our Constitution for the soul of a nation. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, and the entire letter of Galatians is written not in a time of democracy, They never knew democracy. But but Paul says that Jesus calls us to freedom. It was for freedom in chapter 5 verse 1 that we have been set free. And the Galatians who have been won to Christ by this freedom are being told that They cannot really be free or maintain their freedom unless they submit to the law, to the qualifications of purity, to circumcision. And Paul says in verse 13 these words, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It's easy to lose sight of our national story. I think we're reminded of that unless we look deeply at liberty and think about what it has cost our nation in treasure, human and monetary, to maintain as well as establish freedom. I'm 60. Fortunate to live to 60. But in those 60 years, I've never known tyranny. I know on the frontier sometimes, as in shadow boxing, I fight tyranny or my perception of it, and I find it troubling. And I think you can identify with me if you pay attention to the national scene or what's going on around the world. 
But in my day-to-day decisions and living, I've never known tyranny. Those of you living at home with mom and dad, that doesn't count. Uh, A run-in with an IRS agent doesn't count. Uh, A grumpy DMV officer doesn't count as tyranny. John Adams, in yet another letter, in this, in April 1777, said, Posterity, and that's us, Posterity, you will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make a good use of it. If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. At both a national and a spiritual level, he's speaking to us. In light of the freedom that has been won for us at the cross, and the freedom that has won been won for us at great national human cost, we are all asked to make good use of our liberty and freedom. In Galatians 5, Paul talks about love five times. It's the one condition, he says, The prerequisite is God's love for us. And again, the great commandment, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, make no provision for the flesh. Pledge yourself to the Lord and love one another. This is the way to be free, he says, to maintain, to exercise in a responsible way the freedom that has been won for us. He mentions love one other time in this letter. It's a stern letter because he is fighting for the liberty of these Galatians. And he's fighting for it through the gospel. And in chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He says in verse 20, The life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the foundation of our liberty and our freedom in Jesus Christ. As we prepare to receive the bread and the cup this morning, This is meant to remind us of something that um, we'll never fully know the cost. This is what has won our liberty in Jesus Christ. But I remind you that it is the way we cherish this liberty and exercise it that provides the soul for implementing the liberties that have been won for us, and to maintain those liberties that are cherished in our Constitution as a people. 
I am concerned about the soul of our nation. And I am concerned about the soul of our church. And I look in the, I, I look in the mirror at myself too. Because it starts right there. That's where liberty has to be appreciated and cherished. That's where liberty has to be maintained in Christ. We need to pray for the church. We need to pray for one another. And this is an occasion for us to commit ourselves in each our own individual way to the things that are priceless, but that sometimes, even as our second president warned us, can be taken for granted. And as Paul warned us, that we can have this liberty, but squander it in the flesh, squander it in idleness, in looseness, in silliness. We make provision by pledging ourselves, by seeing clearly what it demands to maintain the liberty won for us at the cross and as this nation. And for some of this, this is a challenge to introduce regulation into our lives that demonstrates our love for God, demonstrates His Lordship and renews our pledge to live for him and love through him a power that this world needs to know and needs to see. As we prepare our hearts to take the bread and the cup, I'm going to pray and then it's going to be served the bread first, which represents the body of Jesus Christ, and then the cup, his shed blood. But as you take this in as you place the wafer on your tongue and as you drink the cup, cherish the cost. Refresh your pledge to the liberty that is ours in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, all ideals are born in your heart and find their epitome in Jesus Christ on the cross and in the resurrection. Love incarnate. Your love poured out as we take this bread and this cup. Enable us to cherish, value, what you've done for us in Jesus Christ and the liberty you've won for us. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen.